Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. here this evening. Um, If I've not met you just yet, um, I'd love to chat to you at the end of the service. I've been part of uh, the Fallowfield site of Christchurch Manchester for about five years now um, and it's a joy to be here um, preaching this evening. Um, So in the evening service we've been tracking through a series called Ten Rules for Life and we're looking at the story of King David and David's story is super relatable for us because he seems to go through the whole range of the human experience. Um, He's really relatable because um, he's kind of flawed, he's got that flawed humanity, but also he's a really clear model of Jesus. And so we're picking out 10 lessons from David's life, uh, linking them to the way of Jesus and thinking about um, how we apply these lessons for us uh, today. And so far we've looked at not being deceived by appearances, taking opportunity of the little things in preparation for the bigger stuff. We've looked at worship, developing solid friendships and having patience. And today we're looking at don't be afraid to look foolish. Now I think I am a queen of faux pas. I'm quite an extrovert with a lot of energy and so I often do silly things and get myself in silly positions. So actually I think it's rather apt I was given this theme this evening. Um, And what's our big idea for today? Well we're looking at God's blessing that it is so good um, that as we respond to it in the moment and in our life then sometimes we are going to look foolish to other people. But we should not be deterred by what other people think. Uh, We should be ready to look foolish for God. I wonder if you're from a family of good dancers or sidesteppers. Does your family have that kind of dad dancer energy when there's like a family do? Or do they maybe sort of fancy their chances of uh, going on to Strictly? I love that moment in a wedding where maybe like Abba comes on and everyone runs to the dance floor. Uh, The guys have maybe got their ties around their heads. It's reached that point in the evening. The girls have kicked off their heels because, well, after 7pm, comfort is key. And there's usually an auntie or an uncle who is dancing exuberantly across the dance floor. Uh, They don't care who sees them. Once the DJ has started, they're there. All they want to do is dance. Well, I come from a family of finger pointers doing this, or like the Mufasa move, that one. Okay. So when we're at a party or an event, our dancing is a way of us expressing our emotion, our enjoyment. We're celebrating together. And so we use our body language uh, through dance to communicate that we're having fun, that we're celebrating. And today's passage is about King David not being afraid to look foolish in his worship to God. And I like to picture this scene as the ultimate example of dad dancing. So we're going to read from the Bible and we're going to find out what David did. Um, It should be up on the screen. If not, if you want to turn your Bible or look on your phone for 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse 12. So that's 2 Samuel chapter 6, 12 to 22. Okay. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. 
Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, um, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from your house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. Now there's no getting around it. This is quite an odd story, isn't it, guys? Uh, There's a half-naked dancing king and a very unhappy wife at the centre of it. Perhaps not what you were expecting to hear at church this evening. So we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking the context of what we've just read. So the passage mentioned the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box. It contained some of the most sacred items from Israel's history, including some of the manna that came from heaven, Aaron's rod that budded, and the stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written. It symbolised the presence of God himself and was supposed to be kept in the most holy place in the tabernacle. And decades before we pick up this story, the Ark had been lost. The Israelites had taken it out to battle with them as though it was going to be a lucky mascot to give them the victory, even though the nation was corrupt and far from God. It didn't work and the ark was captured by the Philistines. And while Israel kept losing in battle, the ark went on a rampage of its own, decapitating Philistine idols in their temples. And the Philistines quickly realised that they didn't want to mess with it and returned it across the border to Israel. The ark had made it as far as the house of a man called Abinadab and had been there ever since. Nobody had thought to retrieve it and bring it back to the tabernacle where it belonged. And this was the problem that David wanted to solve. And so he agreed to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Their first attempt was careless. Uh, One of the crew died, um, having taken the holiness of the ark too lightly. And so they left the ark at another house. But having heard that the house in which they'd placed the ark had been blessed by the Lord, they decided to go again and complete the job. And the whole operation turned into this worship procession. And that's where we've picked up the story. David rejoiced the whole way. Every six steps that they took, they would make sacrifices. And he danced with all his might. And we're told he wore only a linen ephod, which was like a priestly garment that maybe looked a bit like an apron. Uh, Basically, he wasn't wearing very much whilst he was doing this dancing. 
and they're all shouting and playing loud music and it all seems a bit over the top until you realise what he's doing. Because is there such a thing as over the top when it comes to joy in the presence of the living God? David was moved in that moment and rightly responded with wholehearted worship and joy before the Lord. But David's wife, Mahal, had a very different take on things. She wasn't best pleased. Uh, When David got home, she told him off for his actions. In her eyes, it was undignified for a king to act in such a way, dancing about in his pants in full public view. And the way that things looked to other people was more important to her than that heart of celebration before God. Propriety was to be valued higher than exuberance. But David replies to his wife in this way, um, and this version is taken from the message translation of the Bible. In God's presence, I'll dance all I want. He chose me over your father and the rest of our family and made me prince over God's people, over Israel. Oh yes, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. David's answer pointed out that he wasn't doing this for the people around him, but for God. And if it expressed the praise that he had for all God had done for him, then he didn't mind how it looked in the eyes of other people. He wasn't afraid to look foolish as he praised the Lord. And what really strikes me about this passage is the context of David's celebration. Because he wasn't just a member of the crowd, he was the king. I mean, can you imagine if like Queen Lizzie had just started dancing along the streets in London? Or if our prime minister just started a conga line at like a party conference? It would be crazy. So here was a man of great stature with um, a public image to protect, a man who was trusted with uh, more power and authority and wealth than we could ever imagine. And yet he led the way, losing himself so publicly in his worship of God and so on fire with praise that it burned right through any inhibitions, any pride. Matt Redman is um, an amazing worship leader and songwriter And he says that true worship always forgets itself. One of the Hebrew words for praise is halal. And that means to be uh, clamorously foolish or a bit mad before the Lord. And it's where we get the word hallelujah from. And I wonder if this story should stir us up to see a little bit more holy mayhem in our worship. To dare to be clamorously foolish for God. And I know that I can be guilty of this, to be self-conscious of who's around me, particularly when we're together in church or we're worshipping at um, a prayer meeting or we're together in our community groups. I can hold back my song worship because of who else is in the room. I might be a bit afraid to move around or lift my hands in the air or maybe pray out in tongues because of what others might think. I wonder if you can relate to that as well. But now and again comes a glimpse of freedom in worship. Uh, During the lockdowns, um, I often just did some worship in my bedroom. I would just shut the door kind of away from my family where we'd been, you know, cooped up together and just have a bit of time with me and Jesus in my room. And it was an opportunity to be really vulnerable before God. And sometimes that looked like crying and kind of worshipping through tears and lamenting about what was happening. But sometimes I wanted to be joyful (laughs) 
and I would clap, I would dance, I would sing at the top of my voice. And isn't it interesting that without any social pressures, I felt that I could be really free in my worship. I wonder if you feel that too. Matt Redman tells a story of um, his glimpse of freedom in worship when he was younger. He was about 15 and he was at a youth group event. And during the songs of worship, um, God really got hold of his heart in a fresh way. And he felt that he could just explode with his love for God. And he was really desperate to let this out in some way. And he felt, well, like, my singing's not enough. Like, I need to do something else. And he didn't really like dancing, so he wasn't going to do that. Um, so before he knew it, he just, like, ran out of the church building. Um, he didn't have his shoes on because it's Matt Redman and he's uber holy and he had to take his shoes off in worship. So he ran out of the church, didn't put his shoes on. And he said he just ran around the car park for 10 minutes because it was just bubbling up inside of him that he needed to do something in his worship before God and Matt must have looked like an idiot but at the time he couldn't care less he wasn't bothered by who saw him or how weird it all looked because he was before God and God alone Oswald Chambers said the consequence of abandonment enters into our outlook because our lives are so taken up with him And what he means is that we get so caught up in love and wonder for God that we forget what others might think and throw ourselves into worship. Don't you long for more of those times where your heart is so consumed with Jesus that abandoned worship just floods out in some of those extreme ways? And we know that worship isn't just about singing, uh, but that sung worship is a really powerful part of our corporate worship, our collective worship as a church. We know that worship uh, should filter into every area of our life, adoring God in every way possible. And that will include singing and dancing and praying, but also things like how we use our money, who we spend our time with, our attitude to work and relationships. But I want to just talk on this main point today. Um, And I'm going to keep coming back to it again and again. Don't hold back in both your corporate and personal worship. Be ready to express your praise in ways that might not make sense to others. And I think in all of this, sometimes we need reminding how passionate God is for us. Jesus' story of the prodigal son has to be one of the best pictures of God's passionate heart The father welcoming his wayward son home is so powerful in and of itself. But the way in which he welcomes him is even more moving. This wealthy, dignified man, a lot like King David, loses all his reserve. He's running towards his son with complete abandon. And that wasn't the way for a man of his uh, stature to behave If there was any running to be done, he probably should have sent a servant to go and do it for him. But as he races towards his son, we see this beautiful picture of abandoned, extravagant love. He just can't contain it. He has to run out to his son. And our heavenly father loves us with the same great abandon. And so passionate, undignified at times, worship is our only reasonable response. William Barclay once wrote, love does not stop nicely to calculate the less or more. Love does not stop to work out how little it can respectively give. With a kind of divine extravagance, love gives everything it has and never counts the cost. 
Calculation is never any part of love. Another great example of an extravagant worshipper is a man called Charles Wesley. And within the space of about 50 years, he'd written over 6,500 songs of praise. He's given Matt Redman a run for his money there. And one of his well-known songs is, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And Wesley wasn't talking about a room of a thousand people. He was actually imagining having a thousand tongues. He was saying, I wish that I had a thousand tongues, because if I did, I'd praise God with every single one of them. And in one sense, that is utter foolishness, isn't it? That's just so silly. But also it's this beautiful picture of worship. As I was writing this talk, I was reflecting that it's so easy for life to just roll on, to find ourselves getting a bit stuck in a rut with worship, to turn up to church and not really engage, to maybe not do any worship or prayer in our week. And we can find ourselves with more pressures and responsibilities and distractions. And so can it, re- it can feel really, really hard to engage with God and um, just soak in his presence and worship him with everything. But the key is to somehow keep that vibrant heart, to just be abandoned to God. In Luke uh, 6, verse 45, Jesus tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so too, out of what's stored up in our hearts, uh, we sing and we serve and we live. And that's what King David's frenzied dancing was all about. The act of dancing itself isn't really the main bit of the story, even though that's kind of the funniest bit. It's not the main lesson for us. It wasn't a show. It wasn't just adrenaline or hype for King David. It was an overflow of the abundance of love for God that was in his heart. And of course, there's a fine balance. We aren't meant to be uh, proud in our worship. We shouldn't really distract other people in their time with God. In the midst of a worship service where there can be quite a lot of of energy and chaotic nature going on, um, it can be easy for us to get carried away. But what we must always make sure of is that it's simply the abundance of our hearts for Jesus and never a show for the benefit of other people or for ourselves. And that's actually a key role for a worship leader. So uh, for someone like Rosie, who leads us uh, regularly to model this um, humble worship in God's throne room, where pride is just left behind and the focus is purely on Jesus. So don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you should make a big show and a dance in our next time of sung worship. I'm not expecting anyone to run out to the car park barefooted. (laughs) But I think actually it's good for us uh, to be challenged, to have a little bit of discomfort in our worship, to try out new things, to be brave. And for you, that might be putting your hands out. It might be um, praying out in tongues. It might be asking God for a prophetic word. It's really, really good for us to step out and have a go at these things in worship. And it might be helpful just to think about what it actually means to be foolish Uh, We might say that someone's a fool if they're kind of self-pitying, they're weak, they're miserable. But actually being a fool for God means being unashamed, to just be happy and hope-filled. And I was thinking of the Proverbs 31 woman uh, when I first got this uh, preach title. And and that woman's described as being able to just laugh and rejoice um, in the days to come. That she might look like a bit of a fool with how content and full of hope she is. But 
a fool for God is someone who's just innocent in his presence and submits to his authority and sovereignty. Joy Davidman was um, a poet and a writer, and she was briefly married to C.S. Lewis, um, who I'm sure most of you will have heard of. And they very sadly exchanged their vows at hospital bed uh, before she died of cancer. But Joy said, being a fool for God was not merely all right, but liberating. I just say that again. Being a fool for God was not merely all right, but liberating. And my prayer for today is that God would bring us to a place like that, to a posture of worship like King David, worshippers and worship leaders alike, where we're just so caught up in loving God that we care very little about our own status or reputation, where we, like Joy Davidman, experience the liberation and the reward of being a fool for God, where we so find God in worship that we lose ourselves in his wonder, love and praise. And we can link all of this to Jesus and how he lived on earth. Like David, Jesus wasn't afraid to look foolish. Jesus was often criticised by other people because he refused to conform to the expectations (laughs) of his day. He kept company with the most unlikely wrong people, with tax collectors, with sex workers people with diseases, outcasts. He just ate and drank with them. He hung out with these people. He deliberately sort of spent time away from the in crowd and he got this reputation for associating with the wrong kind of people. He disregarded the Pharisees' code of conduct for the Sabbath. Uh, He was healing and ministering to people when they weren't allowed to do anything on that day of rest. But he did all of this because it's what his father told him to do. He was obedient to his father's voice. He did it all in relationship with God. And he did it all like King David because it flowed out of that relationship. I wonder how different your life and my life might look if all of our actions flowed out from such a deep and loving relationship with God. Would we care so much about our image? Would we be bothered if a colleague or a friend who doesn't know Jesus yet walked into church right now and saw us in worship and prayer? How different do you think our city would look if we weren't afraid to look foolish for God? My big question for you to ponder this week is what would you do if there was no risk of failing? Would your worship look different Would you praise God more exuberantly and authentically if it didn't matter what other people thought? Sometimes fear is the only thing that's holding us back from the good things that God has for us. I believe that God wants to give us freedom and joy and that liberation we spoke about earlier. If all we're afraid of is others' opinions or maybe losing some credibility in our secular society... Well, is that really enough for us to hold back in our worship to our amazing God? Because the temptation is to conform to the world around us and cheapen grace. But we're aiming higher, aren't we? We're pressing into whole life worship at CCM. And sometimes we will look like fools. Guys, don't cheapen grace. Don't be tempted to do that because it came at such a cost on the cross. So I dare you 
to not be afraid to look like a fool for God. And whilst we aren't guaranteed success or an easy life as a Christian, we are guaranteed a loving father who we can run back to again and again. And that's our security when we choose to follow Jesus. Because actually, it's only his opinion that matters. The only audience we should be playing to is the one, is to God. And I say that and I'm preaching to myself as well. Because we're all self-conscious. We all worry about what other people think of us. But I believe that God wants to take us on a journey. To lead us towards that freedom, that joy, uh, that exuberant worship that not only impacts our lives and our church community, but flows out into the streets of Manchester. What if we weren't afraid to look like a fool for God? Do you think our communities would look different? Do you think the culture of your workplace would change? So don't hold back in your corporate, your personal worship. Be ready to express your praise in ways that might not make sense to others. We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer now and I want to invite the band back up um, just so that as they get set up, um, we can just be praying and uh, getting ready for some sung worship to spend time in God's presence as we've been speaking about today. So if you all want to stand. And yeah, I just encourage you now, um, maybe just if everyone wants to close their eyes and that's just a way of us removing some of the distraction um, that can go on around us if we're looking at what other people are doing. Just close your eyes maybe, just to block out all of that visual distraction. And if you're comfortable, you might want to put out your hands um, and that can just be a sign to say God I'm here to meet with you I recognise that your presence is with us God I want to receive those good things you have for me so yeah maybe hold out your hands you, you might want to kneel or sit down and um, just be still before your Lord yeah Heavenly Father I thank you that you're with us God, we're sorry for those times when uh, we cheapen your grace, when we maybe can't be bothered and we get a bit lazy in our relationship with you. But Father, we choose this evening to decide to not be afraid to look like a fool for you. God, I thank you for that challenge from King David that actually what you want is exuberant, wholehearted worship. Because Lord, you deserve it. You are worthy of all of our praise. And so, God, I pray now as we sing together, as we pray, as we ask for um, yeah, words of knowledge and encouragement that, uh, God, you'd really transform some people's hearts tonight where they felt stuck in a rut with worship. God, I pray that people would encounter you, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time in their life. Holy Spirit, you'd be here. Holy Spirit, we want to... Yeah, we want to meet with you. Yeah, Father, move in this place. Yeah, I feel like there might be some people here who have been turning up to church maybe for a few weeks, few months, and it's just been this really dry season where you don't really look forward to our worship time together and you certainly aren't engaging with God in your week. And I just feel like God wants to say to you that he's here for you, even if it was just you here, he wants to meet with you. 
He wants to minister to your heart, to bring about healing in those areas that are painful for you right now. So just let down your walls. Let go of those inhibitions. Let go of pride because this is a safe place where you can worship however you feel led to. And so God, we pray in this time of worship that there would be joy, that there would be a release of any chains that are holding us back in worship, that we would glorify you now, Father. Amen.